Well, welcome this morning. My name is Kendall Albert, and uh, I, uh, I grew up here in a lot of ways. I went to high school on the other side of Atlanta. I went to college at, or I finished college at Kennesaw State University. I met my incredible, amazing wife, Mackenzie. Lizzie knows her name. The lights are bright. It's hard sometimes. And uh, this is my family. My oldest is Anna. She, the top right is a perfect depiction of her personality. She is dancing and jumping and running and she thinks she's the boss of everyone. I'm sorry if she tells you what to do later. And then my middle son, his name's Phineas. We call him Finn. And he is our grumpy one. I don't know how you can be grumpy walking around getting candy on Easter, but he finds a way to do it. He, uh, he's awesome. I love him. I love that he looks like me. And uh, he, yeah, he's amazing. And then my youngest is Ava. And she's, she's 18 months. She's just starting to get a personality. And it's coming through in this bottom picture here. My whole family, we are, I, I feel like they take a lot from me. They're very eclectic. They have way too much personality, more than I ever will. And they boss me around. I feel like we live in organized chaos at all times. I, I truly love being a dad. It is... Uh, to some extent, I feel like I was born to be a dad. My wife will tell you, if, if you don't know my wife, she's amazing. And if you don't like me, meet her. And you might like me a little bit more. She's incredible. You'll just be like, wow, how did he get her? That is the truth. <laughs> um, my family's great. I, I love them so much. We live in St. Louis, Missouri. I met my wife here. I didn't know if I said I met her here. We went to college together. She, had just, she became a Christian here at North River, and which I'm so grateful for the people who invested their lives and helped her to do that and who invested in our lives. And there's many people who are here who really helped us to go from immature teenagers to immature adults <laughs> and really, you know, helped us to be able to have, you know, to... to to grow enough to get married and to have a family. We're really grateful for this church. It really set an incredible uh, foundation for our lives. But right now we live in St. Louis, Missouri. We work with uh, a couple different groups. Uh, we work with the college students. We have, a, we have a campus ministry there. And we work with some young professionals, some young marrieds. Uh, it's called the, we, we call it the medical group because they're all about 30, 25 to 35, and they're all doctors and scientists, and I don't know half the words they say, because they're way smarter than me. You know, some of them are professors. And so I get the opportunity in St. Louis to stay up till midnight opening the Bible with people who think that their career is in playing video games, and then I get to wake up at 5 a.m. and sit down with people who are MD, PhD professors with millions of dollars backing them in their careers. I get all ends of the spectrum and that much sleep. It's great. Over the last few weeks, uh, I guess you guys have been going through some uh, apologetic stuff. And this weekend, the campus has been doing, has had the scripture that they talked about. Jesus says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
And on Wednesday night, we talked about Jesus is the way. This morning, Nick Schaff talked about Jesus is the life. And so today, we're going to talk on kind of our third apologetics of the last three. Jesus is the truth. I don't know about you, but for me, faith is a really difficult thing. For me, I struggle often with my faith, with my belief. The, the idea that, that there is a big God out there and he created all this is, is something I wrestle through uh, most days of my life. It's not something, I know some people, they're just, they're, they feel like they're born. They're, I believe in all this. I believe in the Bible and in God, and it makes sense. And for me, the more I study, the more I dig in the scriptures, it feels like the more I have doubts, the more questions I get. I'll read apologetics books, and I'm like, okay, that makes me doubt more. I've been, I've been going to church my whole life. I've been around a lot of Christians, and I feel like I've been around enough Christians to not believe in God. I've been a Christian for 18 years, and I have enough church hurt in my life, enough trauma, where it would be easy to be like, you know what? Church has burned me enough. I, I'm good with not believing. It would be so much easier for me to, to be an atheist. It would be so much easier to be agnostic. Because then I wouldn't have to wake up and struggle with my faith the way I do. But I'm really grateful that I'm not the first person to ever feel this way. I'm really grateful, even as I look in the Bible, that, that people in the Bible struggled with this. I think about Abraham, the father of faith, was a polytheist for most of his life. And then he's like, okay, I'll worship you, God. All right, now I'm going to go back to all these gods. All right, I'm going to worship you. I'm okay, I'm going to worship the king. And he flip-flops his whole life. And he's the father of faith. I think about Thomas, one of the, one of the 12 of Jesus' followers, closest, best friends. For him to have faith, he had to touch the wounds of Jesus. He's like, it's not enough to see you, Jesus, resurrected. It's not enough to walk with you for three years. I need to feel and touch where your wounds are. I think about Matthew 28. It says, Jesus, after he was resurrected, stood there and said his disciples worshipped him. But some doubted. As they're standing there looking at the resurrected Lord, they doubted. Faith is attention. Faith is this constant pulling back and forth, and that's okay. It's okay, and I think for us, we have to learn to live with the questions that faith engenders. There, are, there is no answer that makes it so we don't require faith in our life. There's never going to be a point where you have enough information, and you're never going to have to wrestle with faith. But hopefully, we can get to a point where we're okay with wrestling with the questions we have. We're okay with living with this tension of faith that we constantly have. And I know for me, though, I struggle with lots of questions. And I could spend hours telling you all my questions. Whenever I go back to Jesus, whenever I go back to Jesus and I, and I see him and I, I spend time with him and I learn about him, my faith grows stronger. 
that Jesus, his life, his words, his actions and teachings, they give me faith. And what I've realized is that Jesus is the truth. And I believe not in the, I, I don't believe in Jesus because of the Bible, but I believe in the Bible because I believe in Jesus. He is so incredible. There's never been anyone in the world who's ever lived like him. And there never will be in the history of the world. No one who could live as faithfully, as sinless as he did, as loving as he did, as sacrificial as he did. He is incredible. He is Lord. He is King. And for me, Jesus is the truth. Whoop, I don't know what I just did. Jesus is the truth. And so today I, I want to look at a, a very common argument that's been made in apologetics to give us faith. And C.S. Lewis started this argument and says a man, he said a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or he would be the devil of hell. Jesus is truth. But if Jesus is either Lord, liar, lunatic, or it was all legend. So today I want to look at a few of these. I'm going to go through legend in the most detail. But it, hopefully we can get to this, this argument. He, either it's a legend that he claimed to be God. Either that's all false. He was a lunatic, he was a liar, or he really is who he said he claimed to be. Jesus the legend. Hopefully you know, and I'm sure we all know that Jesus as a historical figure is understood as a, a general fact. It's, it's, uh, you cannot refute it. It's irrefutable. We know more, we have more ancient historical evidence for Jesus than Julius Caesar, for King Arthur, for Plato, and for Alexander the Great. You cannot argue that Jesus was really a man. You cannot argue that Jesus was a Galilean preacher. These are things that all, all 99% of historians will all agree on. Jesus was a Galilean preacher. He was in Galilee and Judea. He was baptized by John the Baptist. He went into a temple and had a controversy where he flipped the tables. He was crucified in Jerusalem. After his death, his disciples continued to teach and preach what he taught and preached. And his disciples were persecuted and many were martyred. These are things that you cannot argue. It is understood as much a fact as history can give us that these things happened. We know these things for certain. But, did, but the question is, did Jesus claim to be God? This, if you ask historians, this is where people will argue. Did he claim to be God? And so if he claimed to be, or if he didn't claim to be God, if Jesus said, it never said that, and that was made up by his followers, then why? Why would they have done that? Why would, any, why would they have chosen to claim him to be God? Was it for power? Was it for money? Was it for status? Was it for fame? Why would they choose this? If it was for power, then why were they always giving it away? 
If it was for money, then why were they all broke? (laughs) If it was for status or fame, then why were they why were they beaten and persecuted? Why were they killed? If it was for these things. If it was for status and fame, then why are the writings that we know about them often so poor? If you read the Gospels and you look at the followers of Jesus, the ones who preached his testimony afterwards, if you look at them, you're like, these guys are kind of buffoons. What are they doing? Like, why? You know, Peter, the, the rock, the one who started it all, why did, he, why did they put in there that he, call, he told Jesus to stop it? Why did, Je- why did they put in there that Jesus said, you are Satan right now? I would have definitely erased that if I was Peter. You know, we see them in their racial tendencies. I would have taken that out. Let's take, you know, nope, okay. I'm not going to make that part of me look bad. It doesn't make sense. If it was all made up, why was Jesus crucified? Why was he killed as a war criminal? If it was all made up, then why did they make the first witnesses of the resurrection women? Back in those days, if a woman were to claim something, it was understood to be gossip or completely made up. So if you want a good, reliable source of the resurrection of Jesus, just don't pick a woman. Like nowadays, that's super offensive. But back then, that made sense. Pick a man. Just go, nope, and it, it was his disciples. Nope, it was these three guys. Pick someone who people thought was reliable. You would have had a more reliable account there. If it was legend, then why did 11 of the 12 of his disciples die? For their belief. Now, belief, or dying for something, being persecuted and dying for something, doesn't mean that it's true. But being persecuted and dying for something shows that you believe it. And so there, if all of his followers were persecuted, most of them died, and none of them recanted, that means they all believed it. If they were making it up, one person, we would have just needed to say, see one person go, okay, I made it up, I'm sorry, please don't kill me. But none. They said there's 500 people who saw Jesus after the resurrection. 500 people, none of them recanted. None of them tried to save their life. None of them tried to make money off it. None of them. It's simply illogical that Jesus made it up or that it was made up that he was God. It's illogical. It makes no sense. There's no evidence for it. It's throughout the scriptures, and every sign points to this is really what he preached. So Jesus could not have been a legend. It's impossible. To me, it's impossible. There's no argument for it. Let's go to Mark chapter 3. In verse 20. Says, then Jesus entered a house, 
And again, a crowd gathered around him so that he and his disciples couldn't even eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him and they said, he is out of his mind. The teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem and said, he's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. So Jesus called them over and began to speak to them in a parable. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. The, his end has come. No one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Isn't this passage so cool? They struggle with the same things that we struggle with. His family is struggling with the same faith that we struggle with. But who is Jesus? Right here in this moment, his family thinks he's a lunatic. He is out of his mind. He's crazy. The teachers, the religious elite of their time, he's controlled by the devil. He's a liar. The devil's a liar and he's, he's working for the liar of all liars, so he's a liar. Who is Jesus? But if Jesus was a lunatic, then why did he do the things he did? A lunatic does not do the things that we see Jesus doing. A lunatic does not have control the way we see Jesus have control. A lunatic doesn't love the way that Jesus loved. A lunatic doesn't sacrifice themselves the way that Jesus sacrificed. And a lunatic doesn't speak the way that Jesus spoke. At some point, a lunatic will lose control. At some point, you will see it. A liar! He's a liar. He's, he's being controlled by the king of liars. No liar speaks as truthfully as we see Jesus speak. No liar lives such an open life the way that Jesus did. And no liar expects such honesty from others. Liars live in the shadows. And Jesus lived an open life. You know in the scriptures that Jesus says at one point, you've seen me, I've been with you every day, teaching and preaching. You know my life. He says that to crowds, you know my life. You've seen it all. I'm an open book. He says, hey, is there anything I've ever done? He asks in humility, have I sinned? Someone. He lived an open, honest life in a way that was so open that no liar could have lived it. We know in the passage that by your fruits, you will know them. You know who someone is by the things that is produced from them. Either they're a nasty strawberry or it's deli they're delicious. Eventually, all liars get exposed. 
eventually, maybe not in a week, maybe not in a year, but eventually, all liars are exposed. I think about the time, I think about the time I was in middle school, and uh, I was home by myself, and I, and I looked at pornography, and, uh, and people came home, and I, and I closed it out, and I remember my parents, they came up to me, and they said, hey, did, did, you, did you look at pornography? I said, no. That should have, must have been someone else. They go, well, we, we found your internet history. Yeah, no, that wasn't me. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what happened. I, I'm not good with computers. I don't know. Um, they said, well, we looked at the timestamp of, of what you were looking at. And you were the only one home. I said, it, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Maybe it was a virus. Maybe something. I don't know. I, I don't know, but it wasn't me. I didn't do it. My parents said, okay. They asked me, are you lying? They, they, they asked me for a while. They, they, they went, yeah, we believe you. I remember 10, year, 10 or 15 years later, my dad was telling the story about how some virus got on our computer. And, and uh, I pulled my dad aside and I said, dad, you know it was me. He said, I know. I've always known. Eventually, liars get found out. Eventually, lunatics lose control. But over and over again, Jesus proves that he is no lunatic and he is no liar. Jesus proves that he is the truth. He is the greatest if in human history. If this is true, if he wasn't a liar, if he wasn't a lunatic, if he wasn't a legend, that changes everything. If Jesus really is Lord, it changes everything. Both in this world, and it changes it in my life. But if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is truth, is he Lord of your life? It's easy for us, it's easy for me to go, yes, I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he's God. I believe that he's master. I believe that he's savior and king. But I live a life where he's a good moral teacher. It's so easy to live that way, to live like I, I know he's God, but I'm going to live like what he said and how he lived is a good suggestion for my life. But if he's Lord, he needs to be Lord of my life. If he really is king, if he really is God, then he needs to have rule and reign over my life. Otherwise, what's the point? Do you give Jesus the rule and reign of your life? If you believe this, if you, if you agree that he's not a liar, a lunatic, a legend, then is he Lord? in your life. And if you're not willing to accept both mentally and in your actions his lordship, then come to a different conclusion. Because he wasn't a good moral teacher. Jesus is truth. So at this time, what I want us to do is we're going to take the bread and we're going to take the juice. And somebody's telling me to get off the stage. I don't know. 
but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take a moment. And I want to encourage you as you take the bread and the juice, I want you to think about Jesus. Who is he to you? I want to encourage you to think about him being God, him being Lord. And what about that changes in your life? What are you going to do to, to change so that he really is Lord and not just a good moral teacher? Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for how deeply you love us. It would have been so easy just to tell us to do things and expect us just to do them, but you sent your son down. Down to live a life as a servant and to die and to raise so that we can have faith in you. Thank you so much that you sacrificed so that we can live no longer as our own masters, enslaved to our sin, but we can live as Jesus, as our Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.